We are so grateful the Lord has given us this another Lord's Day in our life. And here we are. We are studying the book of Job. And the book of Job is the book of God because you learn more about who God is and what he does. Many things we don't understand and we don't have to understand. His infinite wisdom with finite mind cannot comprehend. And we need the eyes to see his glory. So far we have studied chapter 1, 2, and 3. And uh, last Lord's Day we concluded the man of God also get discouraged as Job was discouraged. And we saw that how important it is to find the strength from one another. Last Lord's Day I told you that one of the best books by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Spiritual Depression, and it's wonderful, is available in Christian Book Depot and uh, distributors. You can get your copy and have it on your desk, and whenever you need, read, you, you will be blessed. And I'm so glad one person, Mark, came and he said, I'm reading that book, I'm so happy. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, that will be encouragement to you. Spiritual Depression is good book to give a gift to person who are going through a difficult time. And I'm sure the Lord would open when you give the book. So we saw the last Lord's Day that even the strongest believer can become discouraged. That was the first point we saw. And then believers can suffer deeply on many levels, like physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. Job did go through that. And we all go through that, but how you handle matters very much to God. Thirdly, discouragement can cause God's people to lose their perspective. And we saw in David's life, once upon a time, he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistines? And then he acted like a madman. He lost the sight. And uh, you may lose if you have lost this. So this morning, we are jumping into chapter 4. It's very important. He is the first counselor for Job who came along and gave Job some advice. A.W. Pink, a theologian, he wrote, Satan is a very clever. He is very clever. And this is what he says. And I, I love it. He knows exactly what bait to use for every place in which he fishes. Is it not true? He knows exactly what bait he should use. And every place in which he fishes, he knows. In the Bible, in the New Testament, Satan has a 20 names in the New Testament. 20 names. And you'll be surprised, I'm, I'm just I'm flying through. Abandoned, that is destruction, Revelation chapter 9, verse 11. Accuser of brethren is... Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, adversary is against God. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Apollon, destroyer, Revelation chapter 9, verse 11. Be Belzebub, Lord of the Flies, Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. Belial, worthless, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. Devil, the slanderer, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Dragon, destructive, Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, 7, and 9. Enemy, opponent, Matthew chapter 13, 28. Evil one, instinctively evil, John chapter 17, verse 15. God of the age, 
is also in Revelation 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 liar uh, in uh, he perverts the truth John chapter 8 verse 14 murderer he is a, a murderer he um, leads people to eternal death and what we saw yesterday murderer who did everything in el paso murderer prince of the power of the air who controls the unbelievers Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 roaring lion one who destroys first peter 5 verse 8 ruler of the de- ruler of demons leader of fallen angels mark chapter 3 verse 22 satan adversary john chapter 12 verse 31 serpent of all deceiver <coughs> excuse me in the garden first timothy 5:15 temper uh, tempters uh, who solicit people to sin revelation chapter 12 verse 9 and chapter 20 verse 2 and rulers of this age uh, john chapter 12 verse 31 these are the names of satan in the new testament 20 names are given in the new testament he knows exactly what bait he should use he knows he knows having said that let me start with the illustration is funny illustration but is very important listen carefully the title for this illustration bad company bad company a flock of ravens or crows flew into a farmer's cornfield his very sociable parrot flew over and joined the crows the farmer loaded his shotgun took careful aim and fired at the unwanted birds when the when the farmer crawled under the fence to pick up the fallen crows there was a his parrot barely alive his children saw his him carrying a parrot home and fearfully asked papa what happened before the farmer could answer the the parrot spoke bad company bad company now this was listen to that this was to be job's downfall this was a job's downfall he would suffer from bad company in the form of his three friends who would have a negative effects on the faith of job how many lives have been shattered by the bad company bad company what satan could not do by taking away job's wealth destroying his family and his health he would accomplish through so called counselors they could do by so called counselor while job withstood withstood the collapse of the business the death of his children and the infliction of the disease what came closest to his defeating him was the adverse influence of his friends these three associates alifaz zofar and bilad the devil's deadly instruments devil's deadly instruments 
they beat Job down and, and wore him out. Never underestimate the power of the bad company. Parents, guide your sons and daughters. Never underestimate the power of bad company. What did Paul write in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33? Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good behavior or habits. Evil company. James, half-brother of Jesus, writing to the believers in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, friendship of this world is enmity with God. No wonder David writes in Psalm number one, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman. A prolonged series of dialogues between Job and his three friends extends for almost 23 chapters in the book of Job. 23 chapters. Chapter 4 to 26. Each friend speaks in three consecutive cycles. The only exception being the third friend, Zophar, who remains silent in the third round, responds to each discourse. Job himself speaks. <clears throat> Job himself speaks in return throughout these speaks, throughout his speeches. These three counselors say the same thing. All Job's suffering was because of sin. Think about that. All three friends came up with this counseling advice that Job is suffering because of sin. I was reminded by the John chapter 9. You remember, the disciple brought a man who was blind. They asked, who sinned, whether his parents or he? And the Lord replied, none of them. The work of God be manifested. God does discipline sinning brothers or sisters, but not punishment. It's a discipline. As father and mother discipline their own children, God disciplines because he loves us. He wants us to be conformed in the likeness. You know, we, as a parents, as long as you are under our roof, you have to obey. God says, as long as you are under my heaven, you have to obey. Otherwise, I will discipline you. And that part very hard for children to understand. But we need to let them understand. All suffering is not the punishment for sin. They saw... They, they see the direct cause and effect relationship between sin and suffering. Each round becomes increasingly intense. It's fascinating how these friends came along and jumped on Job. Through it all, Job maintains his innocence. And you know, sad part was Job was expecting answer from God, but the heaven was silent. And do we experience sometimes in our own life that heaven is silent and heaven is not speaking? 
Philip Yancey wrote the book, Where is God when it hurts? He's always on the throne. He remembers his own. Right? I always say the trial may presage the burden, distresses. He never leaves us alone. God is still on the throne. Job maintained his innocency. He becomes demanding in the relationship with God. In process, Job's faith weakens and his attitude soon sours. What follows now in chapter 4 is the first speech by this first friend, Eliphaz. Eliphaz. Now when we started the book of Job, I painted Zophar and Bildad and all this character is Eliphaz was the first. This is the first of Job's friend to speak. Eliphaz is a Tanamite, a man who was mostly like from citizen of Timon, a city of Edom, appearing on the scene after Job's second hellish attack, along with two brother friends, two other friends. This man, Eliphaz, this man challenges Job that he is suffering because of his sin. Eliphaz tends to speak as a theologian. And you will see his theology in the, in the book, in, in this discourse. He speaks as a theologian, relying heavily upon the observation and experience. Eliphaz uses very harsh words. Reasoning that only the wicked suffer. Job is suffering because he has sinned. That was his conclusion. Eliphaz seeks in three long discourses. And this is one. It starts in chapter 4. Chapter 4. Eliphaz begins his discourse with Job by making a positive, affirming statement in attempt to connect with him. This is a good quality for the counseling. That when you talk with somebody, hurting people try to connect with you, himself and then try to understand what he's going through. Then you can able to understand and give the counsel. Don't jump on right away. This is good quality. Eliphaz gives us that he begins his discourse with Job by making the positive affirming statement and attempt to connect with him. Well, then Eliphaz, the uh, Temanite, probably uh, uh, the eldest, oldest of these three friends, certainly the most sympathetic, he replied first to Job. And this is what he now takes us in deep understanding. To Job, he, um, and, and break their week-long silence. So remember that. When they found out that Job was going through a difficult time, they all three friends came and sat for seven days. Remember that. And now uh, Eliphaz is trying to connect with Job after week-long silence. In sympathy with Job's miserable state, Eliphaz began by asking Job if he would become impatient. He said, Job, listen, I'm here your friend. Don't become impatient and be open to my counsel. And it will help you. It will help you. He would not uh, prevent himself from offering help Job who was hurting deeply. 
Verse 3 says, Eliphaz began with positive commendation. Now, you know, I was, as I was preparing, one hand, in chapter 1, we have a wonderful testimony from God that he is righteous, he shun evil, he's, he's all these things about Job. What a tremendous testimony. Now, here is a friend, Eliphaz, he's talking about Job. And he's also giving very positive uh, his testimony. He said, think how you have instructed many. Think how you have instructed many. But for subtle reason, now the roles had been reversed. And Job needed to be counseled with the words of Eliphaz. You have strengthened the feeble hands. Now mark these words. I remember that Eliphaz stands as a theologian. And he speaks out of observation. Having said that, keep that in mind. And now he said, you have instructed many. And then he said that you have strengthened the feeble hands. Job had helped many people throughout his life. So everything is known. With his wise words, he helped people. But now the table has turned. Now table has turned. He needed to receive now counseling from Eliphaz. Chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 4. Your words have supported those who stumble. Is it wonderful that his observation very true? Eliphaz sounded so encouraging here, but it was to build Job up only to tear him down. That is the sad testament or the story that you build somebody else and tear him down. That is what Eliphaz is doing now. Job had been a great encourager, he says, of many people. Those who staggered under the heavy blows of life were those whom Job has strengthened with his words. It's wonderful. And then in verse 5, Job's, uh, Eliphaz says, but now Job was in need of instruction. He must accept his counsel. Eliphaz insisted that Job needed a dose of sound medicine. Job, you are weary, you are dismayed, and you are full of despair. Job, brother Job, do you know what you are right now? You are in despair condition, you are weary, you are dismayed. All this resulted from sudden cataclysmic nature of the troubles and the unanswered questions about your tragedy. Chapter 4, verse 6. Should not your piety be your confidence? Should not your piety be your confidence? Is not your reverence your confidence? Eliphaz was insisting that Job's own spirituality would count with God if Job was living in a personal integrity. Then he could be sure he would be successful and good waiting for Job. That's what he was telling. Job's integrity would be his hope. But what he was blaming Job, that you lost your integrity. You lost your integrity. In other words, Job had nothing to worry about if he were right with God. And it is true. It is true. But we know the behind the curtain. 
That was not true, right? It was not true. So here in chapter 4, verse 1 to 6, Eliphaz's affirmation. And then verses 7 to 11, Eliphaz's axiom, his proposal. Now he's proposing Job some remarkable statements, and you notice that Eliphaz believes Job has sinned against God. Job has sinned against God. And he should confess his sin. That is scriptural. He should confess his sin in order to be restored. Chapter 4, verse 7. Remember now, or consider now, Job. Remember now, consider now, Job, who being innocent has ever perished. Job, if you are innocent, you will never be perished. And the answer was a rhetorical question, no. No, that is true. Eliphaz left no room for doubt about Job's guilt. The implication was that if Job were perishing, then he was surely not innocent. If Job was if Job were perishing because he was not innocent, Eliphaz's theory was that Job must be suffering because of his sin against God. You know, beloved, as believers, when the Spirit of God dwells in us, and if you're living in sin, the Spirit of God will convict you and bring you back because he loves us. He loves us. <clears throat> if Job was truly innocent, he would not be struck down like this. And we know, friends, that was not the case. But Job, uh, Eliphaz was man who observed and gave counsel. Chapter 4, verse 8, Eliphaz's life philosophy was, as I have observed, those who plow evil or iniquity saw wickedness. Pastor Rich mentioned this morning in the sermon from Ahab's story that what he sowed, he reaped, Right? Exactly. That's a scriptural principle. When you, when you saw orange, you can't expect mangoes. You get orange. If you sow sin, you will reap punishment. The wages of sin. <clears throat> so Eliphaz's theory was reap and uh, sow and you reap. He had direct cause and effect theory of life. That integrity always produces prosperity and a sin always produces adversity. Since Job was undergoing destruction, Eliphaz reasoned that he must be the one, those whom, who saw the trouble and is reaping now the consequences. And this is a real caution for all of us, my friends, that God has given us the life 
and our children and grandchildren will look up to us. What we saw, they will reap. Beware. Beware. That's why I always say as a pastor, whenever the funeral service or memorial service I officiated, I always said this without hesitating. If you want your children to remember, write down how you want them to be remembered and put it on the refrigerator and live exactly like that. So your children don't have to lie. They will have inspiration that here's my mom and dad. Live like what they believed. Job was undergoing destruction. Eliphaz reasoned that he must be the one, those who saw trouble. And he's reaping now the results. You know, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 8 says, He that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity. He who sows iniquity will sow, sow, S-O-W, um, sorrow, sorrow. Verse 9. Eliphaz declared that those who lived in sinful rebellious would be destroyed and perished. And we know that. Bible tells us that. By the breath of God and the blast of his anger, God <coughs> is holy, my friends. God. Eliphaz, in a, in a way, he was right. That he declared that those who live sinful, rebellious life will be destroyed. And perish by the breath of God. That is, God is holy. God is holy. If son honors his father, if the servant honors his master, if I am a father, where is my honor? Where is my honor? You know, this part is missing today from the pulpit. That God is holy. God is wrath. God is wrath. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13. He cannot even look to the evil things. God loves righteousness and what he hates? Iniquities. Iniquities. Eliphaz used strong imagery to depict God's disciplinary judgment and wrathful vengeance on a, against a stubborn who refused to repent, Eliphaz in, implied that Job was one such person. You know, my friend, there is a balance between love and wrath, right? There's the two sides of one coin. God is love. On the other side, he is a wrath. The righteous will be rewarded, unrighteous will be punished. Bible tells us. Chapter 4, verse 10 to 11, Eliphaz believed Job was irresponsible. He had not protected his own children. The phrase, the lions may roar and growl, is an illusion to Job's loud wailing, yet the teeth of the great lions are broken. This devastation had come to Job because he had failed to care his own family. Eliphaz, wait a minute. 
The spirit talked about Job that when his children had a party, his father Job would kneel down before God and ask forgiveness on behalf of them, lest they curse God and deny him. That is Job. That's what we are looking for today. We, we need a father and mother who kneel down before God for their children and ask God to protect them. Job did it. Job did his homework. Eliphaz did not know the other side of the coin. That Job was a praying father. Oh, we need praying father, praying mother. When I was talking about that, Susanna Wesley, 19 children. Every evening she would lay hand on each child and commit them to the Lord. No wonder how many he, she raised, become governors and mayors. John and Charles Wesley, what a beautiful hymns we have. And can it be, oh, I love that. That's my funeral song, by the way. Beautiful, beautiful. Where are the men and where are the father and mother? Job was, but Eliphaz did not know. Did not know that he was a praying father. But he said, you could have protected your children, but you were careless. Verse 11, the lion, no matter how strong he might be, but he perishes for the lack of prey. In this weakened state, the cups of lioness are scattered. This is the cl clear allusion to Job's failure to guard his own children. And we know that was not right. But that's what he did. He was, he, was, he was giving the advice. So here we have Eliphaz's affirmation and Eliphaz's axiom. And now Eliphaz stands as authority. And chapter 4, verse 12 to 21. Eliphaz claims to have received the knowledge. Oh, he's like a charismatic. Charismatic. Eliphaz claims, these verses are phenomenal. You, you must read at home. Job is, Eliphaz is talking about extra knowledge. He claims to have received his knowledge from spirit in the middle of night. One who argues that, he, uh, that human cannot be trusted because of their sin. He, he said the, the spirit revealed to him. And that's what he knows. Sometimes the charismatic say like that. The Lord told me. The Lord told me. Well, the Lord doesn't tell me. I have to listen to him from his word. Eliphaz was talking about that he has a special message, talking about special revelation, a message that was delivered to him alone, alone. In verse 13, 14, Eliphaz claimed to have received a divine oracle or a mysterious vision. This was for Eliphaz a very disturbing event. That's what he's talking about. Verses 12 onward, you read that, that he had this vision in the middle of night that really disturbed him. That really disturbed him. Eliphaz worried disturbing, and the fear and trembling gripped him. Eliphaz making all the bones shake. That's what he was writing. It was not an ordinary dream. It was not an ordinary dream. It was a supernatural visit, he writes, by unidentified spirit, UFO. Chapter 4, verse 15, 16. 
a spirit with an indescribable form glided past. He said, the hair on my flesh stood up. Very heavy word. Very heavy word. The hair of my head, I don't say. Uh, the hair of my head stood up. This hair-raising experience was mystical and supernatural. I could not tell what it was, he declared, in an image before mine eyes, he says. But it was not like that of a man. Eliphaz heard in verse 17, Shall mortal man be more just than God? The answer is no. Rhetorical question. Shall mortal man be just than God? No. Answer is no. No man is morally good enough to stand before God. You know why? Anyone? Why, why man, let me ask, rephrase the question. Why morally good enough cannot stand before God? Romans chapter 3, verse 23, what is that? All sin. All our good works are? Filthy rags. Filthy rags. The message of this mysterious messenger was that man in a natural state is displeasing to God. And it is true. It is true. Verse 18, 19. If God put no contrast in his servants or angelic beings, then how can he trust sinful men? Well, that is true. At the same time, that is not true. Because those who are sanctified, God trusts them, right? Isn't it wonderful, friends, that we have a holy, righteous, awesome God and still he trusts the, a, a sinner saved by grace for his work on this earth? It's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. When I was in seminary, we had a cantata, Down From His Glory. That was the title, Down From His Glory. What it meant when Jesus came on this planet Earth. And then the, this verse says, what happened if Jesus had not come? And then if, if, if Jesus' disciples stood silent, what would happen? Thank God that he trusts you and me for his unfinished work. Praise God. Praise God that he is counting on me, is counting on you. Amen. Be faithful where he has kept you. Be faithful. Be faithful where he has kept you. If God put no trust in his servants or angelic being, then how can, the, how can he trust sinful men? If God charges and his angelic with an error, how much he will do the same with the fallen human mind. You know, I like that verse that he said, same chapter, he said, we are living in a house of clay. We live in a house of clay. Speak to your heart. 
just a second. He said, I'm living in a house of clay. This is temporary abode. And you know what fascinates me too? Even though we are living in a house of clay, yet the heavenly treasure is interested in the house of clay. That is mind-boggling. What did Paul write in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7? Read, please. 6 and 7. Somebody can read, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. And I'll make an application. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Thank you, Pastor. This is an awesome verse, friend, friends. I wish you memorized this. In chapter 4, verse 6 says, we have this treasure. And what is the treasure he's talking about? The knowledge of the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ. That is the treasure. And that treasure is given in earthly jar. Why? So the power of God be manifested. Amazing, amazing that we are living in a house of clay and one of these days our tent will be wrapped up and our address will be Hallelujah Boulevard, heaven. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It's a beautiful verse. Second Corinthians chapter, I don't know what to turn with. And he says, the man's foundations are in the dust. Friends, that is we came from. That is where we go. If the Lord doesn't come. This world is not our home. We are passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Do you? That's why we are looking for the upper taker, not the undertaker. <laughs> we came from the dust. We shall return to the dust. How can fallen man ever stand before God? Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And the soul who sin must die. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Praise God that God devised the plan. Not man. That's why the salvation is of the Lord. No man shall take credit. It is God. It is God who works and wills according to his own purpose. His own purpose. God devised that plan. Praise God. According to Job 4.21, their bodies are pictured as a temporary tent-like home. That's why our patriarchs were always lived in a tent. 
And the Lord reminded Israelites that they are sojourners, they're travelers. We are travelers, my friends. We are travelers. This is not our permanent residence. We are travelers. Some go fast, some go late. But we all have to get off one day if the Lord doesn't come. What we need to be ready. We need to be ready. According to Job 4.21, the bodies are pictured as a temporary tent like home. Because of their self-centered existence, they die without wisdom, having rejected God. What is the man? What is the main idea of this chapter 4? What can we review? Eliphaz attributes Job's afflicting to hidden sins and he bases this that because you have sinned, this is what is happening to you. And you know, my friends, God willing, next Lord's Day, how do you counsel? What we need as a believers, when somebody is hurting, how do you advise? How do we counsel? There are three very important lessons we are going to learn next Lord's Day. So hang in, buckle up, and we'll see you next Sunday. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for the time you've given us as we sat in the authority of your word. Thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes to behold what we should be and how we should help our brothers and sisters, those who are hurting. Help us, O oh God, that we may learn from Job and also Eliphaz, that we may truly be an example for those who are hurting. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that you have trusted in the, the house of clay, the heavenly treasure, so the power of God exhibited in the mortal body. Help us, Lord, that we may never, ever forget that we will soon be gone. Help us to live every day in the light of eternity that your name might be exalted while we are here on this planet Earth. We love you, Lord because you loved us first. And now, Lord, we look forward for this worship service. Prepare the hearts of the people and those who are on the way, bring them safely. And may you be preeminent in our singing, our giving, hearing, and obeying your word. And we'll give you all praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.